millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. This is episode 148 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley. Thank you so much for downloading. Hey, look, everyone, it's David Cameron Walker. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. I, should, I, I listened back to, to last week's episode uh, a few days ago, and I, I want to say thanks to you, Mark, actually, for paying me such a big compliment. You suggested at the start of the show that once listeners found out I wasn't going to be on, that they'd flee and listen to the Football Ramble or, or Football Weekly. I was being slightly generous. I've never mate. had such a compliment. Um, but what we all want to know is your... you never big... that nice to me when I'm here. <laughs> your big double header on Sunday. How did it go? The uh, Ribblesdale Rovers well, big crunch, crunch double header. Interesting. I know everyone's been on tentacles about mm, this all week. I'm sure they have. Uh, it wasn't the best day for Ribblesdale Rovers, I have to say. The no. first match was two matches against the same team for an hour each. Right. So... Uh, the first match, the first 60-minute match, was a one-all. Okay. I played that match. Played that yep. match at right-back. Did okay. Uh, Versatile. We had a big squad. We had like 16 players, which is more than we normally have. So we did like a lot of rotation in the second game. And I I was on the bench for the second game. Um, I didn't come on. On you sub. I was the linesman. The I was the linesman for the, <laughs> enti- for the entire match. You didn't uh, tell me this. For an hour. But we lost. Oh, no. We lost that one three one. Any controversial offside calls? There was a couple. There right, was one. Okay. I had to disallow a goal for the opposition, and I made the correct. He was definitely offside. They right, were livid. Yeah, whatever. He was. Um, was the playing surface with play very much so? Was the oh, that's in the news topical? Mm. Uh, was the playing surface better or worse than Bloomfield Road? That's what I want to know. Well, better. Oh, a lot yeah, better. For sure. Yeah. What a game that was at the weekend, and uh, what a game involving your team at Bolton four three. Wow. That was a hell of a game on the Amazing. football league show. I actually uh, watched the first time I've watched. Um, I was off on Saturday. It was my mum's birthday. Happy birthday, Mum. Many happy returns. <laughs> she doesn't listen. Cheaper than a car. Yeah. Um, she, uh, I watched it on Soccer Saturday and Latisse was on our game. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he was really giving it the goal, goal, Jeff, goal! <laughs> and I was on centre hooks, but fortunately for me, most of the goals that towards the end was for us. Uh, well, quite a lot's happened uh, since the last show, the last six days. Paul Buckle has left Cheltenham, as we mentioned, was quite likely last week. We won away, which is extremely unlikely. Uh, also, Barnsley have sacked Danny Wilson. And Bradford, Reading and Blackburn made the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. And we are going to London Road a week on Saturday for Peterborough United against Bradford City. As we promised, we did a draw on this show. If you weren't listening a few weeks ago to pick any game in the Football League to go to that weekend, we have struck the plum tie here because it's the week before Bradford play Reading for You've the chance to go to Wembley. Peterborough win. Written <laughs> yeah. all over it, isn't it? So we'll be talking, hopefully, some of the Bradford fans about uh, the uh, the atmosphere at the game. Look brilliant. Are you watching BBC and all that kind of thing at the weekend? And I'm so pleased we're going to have at least one semi-finalist from the Football League yeah. in the FA Cup this season. Uh, so that show will be out on the 1st of March. Uh, a couple of bits before we get going. You can still sign up for the special offers we've got for you. The Lucky 
we are going up listener as follows if you fancy a free 20 quid bet uh, when you bet a fiver then you can sign up for a brand new Paddy Power account if you go to the link on our homepage at wearegoingup.co.uk and you can also do the same for the football pools and get a whole month uh, of the football pools for free plus you can download a free uh, audiobook on us audible.co.uk slash going up and after a quick chat in the pub between us two last Thursday we were talking about iTunes and all that kind of thing and you want to you want to put a thing out there about people rating and and um, subscribing and all that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I think we were just looking at the old charts and kind of doing a bit of doing a bit of uh, research into into how you get up them. And it's not just how many people listen to your show, mm. or how many people download your show. It's kind of an algorithm based on sort of how many subscribers you have, how many people are downloading, listening at once. So it's sort of like kind of like trending mm. sort of with Twitter and. Also, how many people leaving reviews and good starred reviews and likes and stuff on, on your iTunes. So it all goes into the, the machine and out pops the charts. Um, so if we want to be a bit higher up the charts, it would be yeah. nice just to see us rubbing shoulders with some of the big boys. It would. Um, We're it, languishing around the 140s at the minute. We can do better than that. Exactly. There's podcasts in that in those charts that haven't been on for years, yeah. and they're up there. Um, so please go to iTunes, yeah. and if you uh, subscribe to us, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a little review, and even if you can't be bothered, only if you want, you know, if you like yeah, us, yeah, if you, yeah, exactly, a if couple you, of minutes of your time is all we ask. Just hit the uh, the five stars thing and just leave a little review. I think I don't think there's been one for quite a while, so if you could do that, we would much appreciate it. Now the two clubs we're going to focus on on this week's show, we went to do a live special at a game between them at the start of last season. We did so about a year and four months ago something like that it was um, Brentford I think it's Brentford Nil Orient 2 was it from mm-hmm. memory it was uh, the game that we went to um, so these two clubs DC both been in the headlines this week quite interesting to remember back then the Orient were the team who were flying they were I mean, they were on that amazing 100% record start to the season weren't they it looked like they were definitely going to go up at that stage uh, and sadly for them they didn't in the end and Brentford Uwe Rosler was still in charge at the time and they were languishing in mid-table and how the tables have turned since the two clubs are very far apart now in terms of league position but in similar mm. situations off the pitch and in so much that there is uncertainty surrounding both of the clubs there is now later in the show we're going to be talking a lot more about Leighton Orient and their current uh, predicament uh, we're going to be joined by Andy Brown a Leighton Orient fan and writer and also by the podcaster Paul Levy from the Orient Outlook podcast that is because they are three points from safety uh, in League One just seven months after being in the playoff final and obviously just penalties away from being in the championship and there's been all kinds of rumours over the last couple of weeks about things off the field they've had four managers this season they're the subject of a new reality TV show in Italy which is just ludicrous Uh, so we'll discuss all this in a big conversation and find out what the Orient fans make of it uh, later on. But we're going to start uh, not in East London, but in West London, the best part of London, if you ask me. Uh, we're going to start at Griffin Park uh, because Brentford have been in the headlines. We talked last week about the rumours surrounding Mark Warburton's future and Brentford have released a statement on the day that we're recording this week's show confirming that their manager, Mark Warburton, is going to leave the club at the end of the season along with assistant boss David Weir and sporting director Frank McParland. Uh, this is a decision made by the owner, Matthew Benham, uh, who uh, says as part of remodelling the club's football management, a head coach will be appointed to work along alongside a new sporting director in the summer. Frank, Mark and David have decided following long discussions with Matthew that they feel unable to work under the changed structure. So that's the situation. Let's speak to Nick Bruzon. Now, Nick is kind of our Brentford man. We've had him on the show for many a year now. He writes the Brentford blog, The Last Word, which you can read online. And we're pleased to say uh, that Nick joins us on the phone right now. Nick, thank you very much for coming on the show 
Um, as ever, my first question has got to be, what do you make of this statement that the uh, the club have put out there today about Warburton's future? OK, um, well, evening. A reaction is really not surprised at all, given the, um, well, frankly, inept statement that the club put out a week ago, where they 100% failed to back the manager. I think it was only a matter of time that this was going to happen. And sure enough, a week later, after... A lot of tumbleweed, a lot of rumour, a lot of speculation and a lot of, to be quite honest, disharmony among the supporters. It's finally happened. You know, what we expected, but nonetheless, it took a long time to get there. What I think is the most surprising thing about this whole episode, Nick, is not necessarily the fact that Matthew Benham has decided that a change of direction might possibly be needed in the near future. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes chairmen at football clubs, owners at football clubs, they have a vision and they have a direction, they have a structure they want to put in place. We've seen this more and more over the last few years. Southampton being a perfect example a few years ago when they got rid of Adkins and replaced him with Pochettino. Everybody was in uproar. Nobody's complaining now. I, I I could see this situation maybe being similar in the future. But I'm very surprised that it's come out now, when you're in the middle of a good season, you know, you were in the playoffs until a few days ago, you're, you're going for promotion, however unexpected that may be. Why has it come out now? And I, I can't believe that a man as, you know, with such a, a good track record and making decisions as Matthew Benham would, would decide to do this mid-season, which to me can only lead me to believe that there must be some reason... So maybe his hand was forced into doing this, you know, releasing this information now and all this coming out. They've had to comment on it and go public with it when maybe they would have otherwise waited till the end of the season. So the timing's really strange. No, I, I would agree with you. And listen, let's be clear, Matthew, and if you read the statement today, he's made it absolutely categoric what his long-term vision for the club, what his long-term desire for the club is. You know, he, he wants Premier League football. Uh, clearly, he doesn't believe that the current setup is the best direction for doing that, but... As you say, we were very, very well placed until you know, this time last week, last Tuesday. We were in a fantastic position. We were about to play Watford. If we beat them, we'd have gone even further clear in the top six. Um, and then this story broke on Tuesday morning, published by the Times, and again with, let's be honest, a bit of a sensational headline saying that Mark Walton was going to be sacked at the end of the season regardless. Clearly, that isn't the case. He's going to be sacked. His contract will have come to an end, and it's been decided not to renew it. But as you say, I think Matthew's hand has very much been forced. Whatever's been discussed behind the scenes, and again in the statements there, it says it's been going on for a few weeks, even prior to the Matt Hughes in the Times piece last Tuesday. Uh, but once that was out there, there were two choices, either deny it or make a statement. And we went for the latter option very, very poorly. When we did the show last week, we played in the clip, didn't we, of Mark Warburton chatting after the uh, the Watford game and a few people got back to us and said that it wasn't the most convincing sort of uh, denial of a story they'd ever heard. So he obviously knew at that point uh, what was going to happen. Do you think the majority of, I know you can't speak for the, the whole fan base and you mentioned the fan base has been divided. Do you think the majority of fans um, they weren't divided when I was at the game last week. The whole yeah. the whole ground was singing Warburton's name for large parts of the game. Well, I was going to say, do you think the majority of fans will be disappointed to see this decision made by the owner and Mark Warburton leaving the club? Uh, well, if you read the social networks tonight, there's, it's a really, really odd situation because it's almost unanimous backing for both horses. Everyone <laughs> has got complete faith in Matthew. He's invested, you know, reportedly up to £90 million in the club in the few years he's been in charge already so he's clearly got the best interests of Brentford and Hart absolutely but by the same virtue you look at what Warbs has achieved with us and 
in the last 14 months there's only four managers in England that have got more points than him across the top four divisions he's got us promoted he picked up from Uber when he jumped ship to Wigan in the middle of last season was immediately made manager of the month he's been manager of the month this season as well ran it very very close in January so he's done nothing but have success with Brentford so there is a lot of sadness that Wolves will be leaving as well it's just quite a bizarre situation we're supporting both men which is very strange indeed that you find yourself in that situation I think you're right to believe in 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 Matthew Benner because again I saw I was speaking to a few people on Twitter about this earlier on who you know at face value it is easy to look at the club and think god what are they doing why on earth are they yeah. doing this right now this is going to derail their season but Matthew Benham made his fortune in betting you know, betting money on you know in sports and and you know looking at markets across you know years and years and years and calculating to as high as possible certainty as he could what was going to be the results in certain games based on trends and stuff taking a very scientific analytical approach to making his money and that approach has followed over into how he's tackled the job of moving Brentford forward as a football club and he's done that very well so this isn't a man who's going to just decide to do something on a whim if he's going to do something he's you know based on his track record you're going to have to assume that he's pretty certain that he's going to be successful at what he's doing so I, I can see why you'd have full faith in 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 Benham and Warburton's done such a good job as well but I just wonder whether Maybe there's reports that Warburton potentially was being courted by Norwich. There's reports linking him with QPR. Maybe maybe Warburton's taken his eye off the ball and Benham's decided, right, OK, we've got to move forward. Well, again, if, we, you know, if we're to believe what we read, and this has been going on for some time, certain discussions behind the scenes, you, you can't blame Warburton for looking around if he knows the end is nigh. Mm. Likewise, you know, in a way, he's a victim of his own success. He's done very, very well with a massively unfancied team. And... You know that's a highly desirable commodity, especially at this time of sackings when chairmen are starting to panic before we really hit the relegation rush. So, from that respect, I wouldn't say Warburton's taken his ass the ball so much, but being the victim of circumstance. Uh, equally, I mean, yeah, you, you could even take the opposite stance. Perhaps Warburton has taken Brentford as far as he can, certainly with the current squad available. And if you look at the table, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm. I'm loath to criticise a man for everything, everything he's done for us. But the six teams above us, we've played eight of them and we've lost seven of those eight games. So perhaps it could be argued that if Matthew's reading the stats and looking at the analytical model, well, Mark's reached a glass ceiling with Brentford and it's time to push onwards and upwards. And equally, if Mark is going to go, this is the incentive that he needs, really. You know, perhaps incentive is the wrong word, but the point to prove, rather, that you know what, Matthew, you've got it wrong. I am going to get this team up. I'm going to get this team over the line. And I'm going to put myself in an absolute pole position when the summer comes for a new job with the Chapel Club wants me. That would be such a bizarre situation, though, wouldn't it? If a club like Brentford got promoted and suddenly the manager was like, right, I've done my job, lads, I'm off. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you were saying, though, uh, DC, about the um, him sort of playing the numbers game and gambling. Because in the statement, there's a thing here today talking about the setup next season, saying uh, there will also be a new recruitment structure using a mixture of traditional scouting and other tools, including mathematical modelling. So I don't know what that is, but it does very much sound along the lines that you're uh, discussing. Um, what do you make of this, Nick, this whole idea of this continental setup? Do you think it's something which long-term is going to be good for Brentford Football Club? Well, again, uh, as long as Matthew's at the helm, Mr Benham's at the helm, then I, I would have to say yes, purely because this is how he's built up his business. This is how he's made his money. 
this is how he's seen nothing but success after success after success come his way. He knows numbers. He knows stats. This is not a stab in the dark. This is a very, very clearly thought out and clearly structured plan. We need to take the emotion out of this because Mark Warburton is extremely, extremely popular and with good reason. You saw the reaction from the Brenton players themselves when we scored the first goal against Watford on Tuesday night. Everybody loves him. The crowds are chanting his name. But Matthew has decided, popular though Mark is, it's not in his plan for the club as a long term. That Mark is the man at the helm. He's going for a new model. He's going for a head coach. He's going for a new sporting director. And if Mark's not willing or able or finds himself compelled to work in that model, then a parting of the ways is sadly inevitable. It was interesting to hear what you just said, Nick, about maybe this is the incentive Mark Warburton needs to push on for the rest of the season and prove the owner wrong, prove to potential employers out there that he is the man to take on the next job that he he gets offered. Because I, I'd not really looked at it that way because thinking about it before the show tonight, I was thinking, well, regardless of what the reasons that this has happened nights now, the, the net result for Brentford the rest of the season, in my in my view, until you said that at least, was that this was a bad thing for Brentford because I think once you know that you're leaving somewhere, once you know you're leaving a job and once the employees know that their manager, their superior is leaving the job, even if it's subconsciously, I think you can slip off that one or two percent. That time when you would have maybe put in that extra bit of effort to impress the boss, you think, oh, it doesn't matter, he's going to be gone anyway. That time when the boss would have come in five minutes earlier or done that extra tramp, you know, journey to this to watch that play, you think, oh, you know what, I'll have a night in with, this, with the family because you know, I'm going to be gone anyway. I think the margins of success and failure at football at this level and at any level to some degree are so small you know, when you read things about the people who succeed at the top level of the game, I'm talking, you know, right at the top, you know, Guardiola as a manager, Ronaldo as a player. The reason they're successful is because they are relentless in their focus. They are completely dedicated their whole life to being as good as they can be. And when that focus slips, even just 1%, as it may do for some of these players and for Warburton, now they know the future in six months' time is going to be different. That can be the difference between you finishing the top six and you finishing tenth, which could quite easily happen now. And I think, and I think that would just be such a shame if your season was to just disintegrate now and fall away, and you just finish mid-table. As good as that would have been for you at the start of the season, great. You're finishing mid-table. I'm sure you would have taken that with your first season back in the championship. But you had this opportunity now, you know, to to push on and maybe go up and maybe do something remarkable. And if that's taken away now because of this story happening now, it's, it's just a real shame for Brentford Football Club and for the fans. It will be an absolute crying shame. And you, you, you've hit the nail on the head in one respect. Pre-season, everybody would have settled for 21st in the table, quite frankly. First, first goal was not going back down. You know, mid-table would have been a dream, but to play the way we've played and to do what we've done and just to continually play some great, great football has been beyond our wildest expectations. Um, yet then it came to the announcement on Tuesday and against Watford I thought we were a little bit unlucky to be fair you against were. Charleston on Saturday we were abysmal absolutely abysmal it was probably the worst performance I've seen us put in about two or three years woeful woeful and those are the margins but at the same time Brentford has always always been such a close-knit community fan interacting with players with chief exec with chairman club everybody knows everybody and talks to everybody whether in the street or in the social networks and all of a sudden we've just 
got this air of uncertainty hanging over us, just no one knowing what's going on, nobody able to say what's going on, a lot of rumour, a lot of speculation, and it was absolutely unsettling. I don't deny that for one second. I felt a lot of it myself, and until such time as the announcement came out, all of a sudden, you just see the change almost immediately. Yes, there's a lot of sadness about Warburton, um, but equally, we now know what we suspected. And with the team placed where they are, they're still only one point outside the playoff zone. We've got a massive match at the weekend. Full house at Griffin Park, Bournemouth coming to visit. It could all get right back on track straight away. Well, we, we probably should talk a bit about the uh, the on-field stuff this season. Um, you mentioned, you know, you would have settled for 21st at the start of the season. You're in this position now where obviously you've just slipped outside the playoffs with that defeat at Charlton at the weekend. What, what's your gut feeling, given this news? Do you think that the squad can come back stronger from this and, and end up in that top six, or is it just far too tight to make a prediction at this stage? I, I think the whole table and the whole division has been fantastically exciting. Um, in terms of Brentford, though, you know, we've lost throughout the last four games, which is a bit unfortunate timing, but equally, everybody has a blip. And when you see the way this team has been playing, this, t- this team has performed over the season, we've got such a thin squad, yet they have been incredible, incredible. The, the best Brentford team in living memory. And can they do it? They won't make top two now. I'll say that quite, well, not happily, but fairly assuredly. Uh, my gut feeling is we'll settle for sixth place in the playoffs and go from there. Our, our playoff record has been so, so bad. I think there's only Preston North End that are worse than us in the playoffs since the damn things have begun. But this year, we've just defied so much expectation. It'd be typical Brentford come six and win the playoff final at Wembley. Is there a part of you that, um, I mean, I know we, we've discussed what you, your thoughts on Warburton, but on, on the other hand, is there perhaps a part of you or, or maybe amongst the fans that, would rather Warburton just go straight away. Now that this announcement has been made, he knows his future, as I was alluding to, I think that would make a difference. Would it not be better to just do it straight away? If, if the owner's decided that he's not the man for the future, why limp on to the end of the season? If there's someone else, maybe he's not available right now, but if there is someone else that he wants, get it done. Uh, and, and there's a problem. I mean, first up, who do you put in? Well, exactly, yeah. I don't think Matthew would make, make a knee-jerk reaction um, and bring somebody else in on, on a whim. He, he's clearly going for Premiership. Mark's got his own incentives. The, the pair of them, certainly outwardly, are still very, very close, whatever has happened. I, I, you know, it, it is a tough one because I, I get what you're saying. We, we could fall away and get demoralised, but equally, this is such a close-knit bunch of players. Now that we know what's going to happen, I think, you know, just like the manager's got a chance to prove things for himself, the players have got a chance to prove things for the manager. And don't forget... There's a lot of players out there still playing for a contract. There's a very, very competitive squad. But most of all, these are professional footballers. They've got the lights, the premiership shining in their eyes. They're not going to give up. You hope not anyway. Do you think, do you have confidence in the in, in enough confidence in the vision of the owner at Brentford that you believe that you will be a Premier League football club, say, within the next five years, in your new stadium that, you know, you will, you, Brentford... You know, as small as you you have been, and as small as you you may continue to be, regardless of your new stadium, do you think you would genuinely become what Matthew Benham wants you to become, and that is a stabilised uh, Premier League club? Yeah, I mean, had had you asked me two or three years ago, I laughed you all the way down the line. But looking at what we've done now, and looking at the support of the owner and the absolute ambition of the owner, 
I've got no doubt this will happen. I've got no doubt this can happen, and I'm almost certain it will at some point, whether it's this season, whether it's next season, whether it's in time for the new stadium. It sounds absolutely bizarre to be saying it, but you look at teams like Fulham, like Stoke City, they've gone up and they've hung around for a long, long time. You look at your Burnies last year, they're up there, they're doing okay. So can Brentford do it? Yes, they can. Nick, brilliant. Great to talk to you as ever. Thanks no for coming problem. on. Good luck for the rest of the season, although I'm sure no, thanks very much. if it's not at um, Watford's expense, you will wish the same, DC. Very much so. Your yeah. little trip There's down. room in the plows for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that was Nick Bruzon, uh, author of the Brentford FC blog, uh, The Last Word. And if you want to read that, you can go to nickbruzonslastword.wordpress.com. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Okay then, let's move on to Leighton Orient. DC, do you remember what happened on Saturday, May the 24th last year? Was it the playoffs? It was the playoffs. <laughs> it was the League One playoff final at Wembley when Orient came within a penalty shootout of getting promoted to the championship. They were beaten by Rotherham, you might remember. Russell Slade was their manager at the time and their chairman at the time was Mr Barry Hearn. Now, uh, how things changed? Seven months later, um, well, they are second bottom of League One, unfortunately, and uh, potentially could be playing their football in League Two next season. Uh, this is the little timeline, just to introduce this. Barry Hearn sold up in the summer, selling his 90% stake in the club to the Italian businessman Francesco Bacchetti. At the time Barry Hearn said we're going to be the envy of every small club. It took a long time to find the right person and this is an opportunity too good to miss. However things didn't start well. Seven points from their opening seven games and Bacchetti claimed that Russell Slade needed to beat Notts County or that would be curtains for his job. They didn't but Slade resigned shortly afterwards and left to join Cardiff. Their former chief exec Matt Porter also resigned from the board of directors in October plus Kevin Deard and the goalkeeping coach Lisa Wood, the fitness coach and the physio Joe Sharp all left too. Uh, they continue to go through various managers, Kevin Nugent, Maro Milanese and now Fabio Liverani, all in charge at various points since Slade uh, left the club. They did win, big win as well, 3-2 at Chesterfield on Saturday, but it was only their seventh league win all season and uh, just three wins at home noticeably as well. They're three points from safety with 17 games remaining. Added to all this, they're now the subject of a reality show in Italy on the telly and there's various rumours doing the rounds about bust-ups, poor communication, players wanting out, the wage bill, etc. So, I think it's fair to say we've got quite a bit to discuss. Joining us to do just that, we have Andy Brown, Leighton Orient fan and writer, writes for us here at We Are Going Up On Them uh, and also writes uh, for the Guardian series about Orient 2 and for uh, the uh, Orient blog View From The West End. And also Paul Levy, who co-hosts the Orient Outlook podcast, is on the line as well. Chaps, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Andy, I'll start with you, come to you Mm. first. Um, Who do you blame for all this, the state that the club's in right now? I think you gave a really good summary at the beginning of the um, in the intro. Really, it's it's a combination of things. Really, I think before we start attacking Bacchetti, I think it's it's important to say a few things, and that's that teams that traditionally do well in the playoffs, and this is true for us in the past, often don't do that brilliantly the next season anyway. So unless you're going to continue going from strength to strength, there's always a chance that you know it's going to be hard to raise the same level of motivation the next season. And plus, you've got a. We didn't have that much of a turnover in terms of playing staff, but we did bring in some new players and. Um, there is a feeling that these players were on significantly higher wages than the ones that were incumbent to the club. So the the feeling was that that started off with unsettling things at the club. But really, it's the speed of wholesale change at the club that's been the issue, I think, fundamentally. And that's that there's just been such a turnover of um, of staff. You mentioned all of the, the key people. 
um, who've left. Uh, so Matt Porter, Lee Southernwood. But it, it's also the fact that Bacchetti hasn't turned to um, Barry Hearn or anyone who was previously at the club for advice. So, so really, it's kind of been, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, come hell or high water, we'll do it this way. And, um, you know, obviously, when you make such, such you know, dramatic changes so quickly, mm-hmm. it unsettles everyone. Uh, so it's unsettled the fans, but primarily it's unsettled the playing staff. So it's unsettled the players. Uh, they've, they've been, you know, tra- as you said, turnover in managers. There's been no settled manager since Russell Slade left. And, um, you know, it, it's... It's 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 created a real problem, really. So you know, it's it's um to, you know, it's it's hard to to the, the most important thing that the Orient established under Russell Slade over four and a half years was continuity, stability, sustainability, and all those things have kind of been thrown out, if you like, in in in, in the space of six months because we've seen the staff turnover, we've seen you know new players come in. You know, fitness and injuries particularly have been a big problem this season as well. Um, and then there's also the, the once you're in a losing streak, you keep on losing. So it's a confidence thing. It's hard to break a losing cycle. So, yeah, it's, it's so some of the things may have been there anyway, even if Russell Slade was still in charge of the club. But um, the speed of change has really been one of the one of the major factors, I think. It's been amazing, really, an absolutely amazing turnaround. Because, I mean, last this time last year, you were you were staring the championship in the face. You know, especially after that amazing start. And then now you're not too far away from potentially being in League Two. And Paul, I'd I'd be quite keen to get your views on some of the stuff that's come out in the last week or so. Obviously, before the weekend, there was a report in the Standard and a few other places that I've seen uh, with saying that the the players had to hold their own team talks in the tunnel because there was no communication um, from Liverani and his coaching staff. They didn't know the team until an hour before the game, and just a, 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 a litany of different things that were just really damning uh, if they were true about what was going on behind the scenes at the club. But then after the victory at the weekend. Uh, and Captain Nathan Clark has really strongly refuted uh, mm. a lot of these allegations, saying that the players are a tight knit bunch, and we, you know, we, we are rejecting what's been said about us. Yeah. I mean, which is which is very confusing. Obviously, for a paper like the Evening Standard to go to print with a story, they must have had a pretty good source and had some confidence in what they were being told. Yet, you know, the captain there himself is saying that no, that's not all true. So, where does that leave you as a fan? Well. I- you can you can get caught up in who's being paid what and how much and when and uh, and all that sort of stuff. But but the bottom line for us is you know if someone's being paid that amount of money, then good luck to them. I, I suppose from from a fan's perspective, I don't really care what they earn. Um, what what matters to me as a fan of of 25 years is results on the pitch. Um, you can see we've still got the main bulk of the uh, squad from last season, the likes of, sort of Dean Cox, Lloyd James, those you know, been injured and, and, and remain Vincelo, David Mooney. You know, we, we are not a completely changed side from last year. We've, we've lost Jamie Jones, who, to be fair to him, he was injured for large portions of last year and probably quite a significant one that's probably not been um, perhaps adequately replaced is, is Moses Adebayo, who went to who went to Brentford, obviously Mark Mark Warburton there, uh, you know, they paid a decent fee for him and, and, and he's a terrific talent. So, you know, we are ostensibly the same team as last year, but, but uh, you know, we have been absolutely ravaged by injury this season. You know, as soon as you're getting someone back, they'll take another knock or there's a, a virus going through the, the through the camp or, 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 you know, I don't think once this season we fielded the same team uh, more than once, you know, back four, back five, 
front two. It, it's all been you know very choppy and changey. As for speculation, rumours, I, re- I read that article. We covered we covered that article in in episode twenty eight of of our podcast, uh, you know, the latest one. And I suppose with certain things, you have to take with a pinch of salt because no one's out, outright going to come out and say, yeah, you know, that's true and that's true and that's true. And as Nathan Clark said, you know, one of the the, the key people that were targeted was was Janvito Plasmati, and apparently he's quite upset by you know, what's been said about him. He seems quite a passionate player. He's just not hit the ground running. But then you could argue that about, you know, Darius Henderson, Jay Simpson, J.B. McEnough, David Moon. He's not, you know, he's, I don't even know if Dave's into double figures yet. Uh, this time last season, I think he was mid to late teens in terms of scoring. So, you know, it is a very, very different kettle of fish this season. And as Andy said earlier, you know, the hangover from the from the playoffs is, you know, can, can lurk. I'd obviously balance this out with, you know, Yeovil went up last season, uh, sorry, the season before, at the end of the last uh, season before last, they played championship football last season, got relegated, and now they're bottom of League One, having just sat the guy that took them up. So, you know, it, it, it's always a swing, swings and roundabouts situation. Um, yeah, obviously, the you know, the, the players, I've been to the training ground, and, and you really don't get that sort of negative vibe there. You know, you can sort of sense a bit of an atmosphere if things are a little bit tense. But, you know, when I was there, and, and all the players have continually said, you know, we know we're not doing that well. We are working really hard to, to, to put things right. Things haven't been going. It's obviously not helped that Fabio's first language is not, uh, English. It, it's obviously caused some some difficulties. Um, they've looked to redress that by uh, getting in some backroom staff who have a strong English uh, comprehension, um, so that, that that can work. And I understand that that Kevin Nugent was um, in the bug out on Saturday against Chesterfield. You know, helping to convey messages from from the bench to you know to try and help make life a little bit easier. So, you know, it's a massive learning curve. And I think uh, Mr. Bichetti's acknowledged that some mistakes have been made. I dare say more will probably be made. But, you know, we don't want the club to go down and, and no one wants to get on the players back, particularly as the, the joys and the highs they gave us of, of last season. Andy, is it kind of doubly disappointing in the sense that obviously you've had the form on the field, uh, but also perhaps what this sort of state of affairs has done to the reputation of Orient? Yeah, I mean... Part, part of the problem is how many of these things are rumours and how many of them are true. I mean, there were rumours going around a few weeks ago, and they are, that's all they are at this point. They're rumours that the wage bill had gone from 2.1 to 7 million. And nobody knows if this is true or not. And there's this innate pessimism and fear amongst Orient fans. I've been watching the O's for 33 years. There's this innate pessimism that we, we're going to you know, go the way of the dodo again. You know, that, that there's this real risk we could go out of business. It, it, it all, all, everyone's fears hark back to where we were just before Barry Hearn took over and the John Sitton era and the, you know, yours for a fiver and situation in the mid nineties. And no one wants to go back to that. So we're, we're very, we, we've been very frugal over the last 19 years under Barry Hearn. And so now all of a sudden we've got a guy who is investing in the squad and it, it's a bit frightening. And I, I think, you know, for us, it, it, it's the sea change. Uh, it's the speed of change. It's the, 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 the kind of investment he's making. But also there's this idea that because of the TV show, I mean, all, all this is coming to focus because we're playing badly. All this is coming to focus because we're down the bottom of the league. The fact of the matter is the reality is if we weren't where we are, you know, if we weren't down the bottom of the league, people wouldn't be talking about this. They'd say, oh, you know, Francesco's come in, he's done a great job. You know, he's invested in the staff to take us to the next level, which is what everyone had hoped was going to happen in the summer. Although a few of us were, were kind of sceptical about, well, how quickly that would happen because it takes time. 
to do that. It's whether he has the right intentions or not. And, and of course, the TV show has been a bit, bit of an embarrassing sideline because, you know, we, we, you know we've had like players, you probably saw the, the youth, the Italian, young Italian prospects that are going through this kind of uh, uh, Britain's got talent or rather Italy's got talent type of selection process to, to, to be a next star at Leighton Orient. So it's all the subject to this TV show and, and with Bacchetti's Aegon channel. And so when you see that and they're miming to pop songs and stuff like that, it's kind of cringeworthy. And it's the contrast with how we're doing on the pitch with mm. that kind of stuff happening, which seems and feels to fans like a distraction. It feels as though, well, we wouldn't mind if you weren't, if this wasn't so bad on the pitch, but it's almost like you don't care or it's, you're more bothered about your TV show than you are about Leighton Orient, you know, and and, our, and our, you know, the fact that we're second oldest London club and we've got this proud history and, you know, you bought the legacy for four million and, and, and now you're, it's just a joke to you. And I think that's in the back of fans' minds. And a lot of that could be helped by communication. I think this is the one thing that we've all been saying all the way through is better communication between the fans and the players. What we have with Barry Hearn and, and especially Matt Porter, who's been a fan all his life, right the way from when he was a kid. Um, we had that, that connection between the fan base and, and the management. And Barry Hearn was okay. He was outspoken. He sometimes called. He once called the fans morons. But he was. He was candid. He was. He was fairly blunt. But he always communicated. And and what's happened is that we've gone from that great communication and togetherness and this kind of this this group never gives up, which was the motto of last season, to what we got this season, which is kind of a complete wall, stone wall between the fans and and the management. And I think that that sudden change, along with all the sudden changes at the club, without explanation. Uh, just creates enormous amount of uncertainty and that breeds rumours, you know, irrespective of how many of these things are true or not. And, and with the context of what's, what was, what's been happening at Leeds and, uh, you know, what, what obviously happened with Tan at Cardiff and, 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 and Alam at, at Hull, you know, of course, every, everyone looks at those things and they think, oh, it's just another one, another foreign owner coming in, messing up a club. And so, yeah, we'll come back to what you're saying, it does tarnish the image of football in that respect because people immediately think it's another guy with, a, with a, you know, another foreign owner with, with, a, with, a, with an English club uh, for a plaything. And of course, you know, that's what we're all scared about. You know, we're all scared that that is what's going to happen. But, you know, we, we try not to be too hysterical about it, you know, and, and trying to keep calm despite the fact that we're not doing very well. I think you're right, Andy, to, to not be hysterical and, and to try and retain a sense of yeah. perspective. And you are right to say none of this would matter so much. There wouldn't be as much attention. There wouldn't be as much concern from Leighton Orient fans and the wider footballing press and, 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 and world, as it were if you were doing well on the pitch. But the crucial point is, you're not doing well on the pitch. Your second bottom, you know, you, you were bottom before that last gasp win at the weekend. And I suppose the question I'd ask to, to you both is that as it stands, given what you've seen so far, what you've heard, maybe true or not, rumours, and you know, there's clearly, often there's no smoke without fire. They may not all be true, but clearly there are some things behind the scenes that haven't gone that well this season whether that be from disgruntled players or whoever's leaking that, clearly there is something wrong to some extent there. Um, do, do you have any confidence that despite the, the downturn on the pitch so far, that in the long term, this regime will be a success for Leighton Orient? I, I do. I think with the squad that we've got and seeing what they did last season, I think once things settle down behind the scenes, I think the playing staff will then settle down a bit more. And I think I'd like to, uh, maybe I, I don't want to put the... Uh, the block on it but, but I'm hoping that uh, I'm, I'm sort of quite confident that you know maybe not necessarily against Bradford but but certainly over the coming games that, that we will we will be okay we've got a game in hand against some of those uh, around us and I think two in hand against 
one of the others in in, in the in the bottom end. So, you know, that that will put us sort of comfortably away. But 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 Andy makes some good points before about Barry Hearn. I think perhaps we were probably spoiled by the access that we had to Porter and Hearn. And I think that where that's now gone completely the opposite way where uh, Alessandro, the CEO, uh, and, and Mr. Bichetti, where their first language is in English, I think that you know they've refrained from doing uh, interviews. They've refrained from from speaking to people just purely because they don't they, they don't feel that confident. So, you know, I, and and I think obviously at the beginning of the season when Russell was signing the, the J.B. McAnuffs and the Jay Simpsons and the, the Darius Hendersons, there was a lot of uh, build up and uh, and happiness and and perhaps people were slightly overwhelmed. It's like blimey, we're signing people of of real note now. There's real intention here with this 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 money. So. You know, and, and unfortunately presented a false dawn because people got injured and, and they've not settled in as well as uh, and hit the ground running, so to speak, as, as much as we like. So, yeah, it's been a very confusing time, despite us having the majority of the playing staff, you know, from last season. Fabio Liverani said in, in, in a recent interview that, you know, if you're at the top, no one no one asks about what problems there are. No, that, that's no one's focus. These things only seem to arise when you're at the bottom or or going through, you know, a bit of a bad time. But but I do believe that with the strength in depth of the squad that we've got, with players coming back, we've got Lloyd James to come back soon, Jay Simpson to come back soon, Darius Henderson in 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 there as well, Joby McAuliffe's now back on the bench. You know, I think that we can actually pull away from this and actually start to to uh, you know to push our way out of this problem. Andy, um, what's what's your take on it all? Yeah, I mean. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I I agree agree with all those. But I mean, I'm hoping that it all comes good, that things settle down. You know, there's, there's togetherness returns, and I mean, because what we're seeing even amongst the fans now is in fighting. Oh, you don't know this, you don't know that. It's all speculation, and so you know, there's this real fear that things aren't going so well at the moment, and and, and therefore you know they won't ever be ever improve. But um, one thing that gives me comfort about the future is whenever I, in the limited times I've seen Bichetti interview. He seems like a stubborn, kind of a very, very stubborn, intransigent sort of person. So I, and he's determined. He said to stick with it, and that sort of stubbornness might actually benefit us because I think deep down some of the fans are afraid that you know he'll he'll get bored or upset with with the situation and he'll walk away leaving us in a in a Pompey type situation where we've got a huge wage bill we can't pay. We end up in administration or worse. And I, and I think that's that's the basis of the fear. Is that I mean, it's it's kind of like there's a reassurance needed for the fans that that's not going to happen. But he seems very, very stubborn. So I can't imagine he will walk away until it is a success, irrespective of how things look right now. So I, I think, he, I mean, I was very sceptical in the summer. I looked into his background. I wrote about it. You know, he had an uncle. And we won't go into that because it wasn't him directly. But, you know, I, I, I was a little sceptical about him, just like I am. I was about all foreign owners because there's been a precedent set with foreign owners in Britain who, generally speaking, bar a handful at the very top level, have not got a great track record of looking after clubs in the championship and below. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, obviously a lot of us were sceptical and a lot of us are sceptical. But I do think you have to give people time um, I just hope we can get out of the situation we're in because it's a step, it's two steps back if we do drop down back down to League Two. Um, I do think he made a mistake by uh, by asking Matt Porter to to resign from the board, and I, I think that experience that yeah. Matt that Matt uh, that that Matt that Matt brought to the table 
certainly as a transitional period, even for six to nine months, it would have been a massive benefit. You'd have still had somebody that's able to communicate with the fans and able to let us know what's going on. So you have that continuity until Francesco and and um, and the CEO had uh, Alessandro had uh, had that sort of comfort level around them and. Uh, and that they were able to do that, but 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 obviously people will say, well, he got rid of Slade, this that, and the other. Well, you know, there's nothing to say that Slade would have stayed. You know, Cardiff came knocking, probably uh, doubled, tripled, yeah. quadrupled his wages, and there's I'm nothing sure to he would say have that hurt anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty and, sure he would have walked absolutely. anyway. I think any, anyone who can sort of suss out football management knows that he knew we were we were going to struggle this season anyway. I think anyone who's watched Orient for more than a couple of years knows full well they've been here before. And they know full well that, you know, manager knows he's taken the club as far as he can. And, and people even said it last season. Russell was, you know, Russell was a nearly man and he did a brilliant mm. job. And I'm not criticising him. I think he was one of the best managers this club's ever had. But, Agreed. you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought it on to the subject of the manager because it is something I wanted to talk about. I think it's interesting when you talk about the previous track record of Brit- of, uh, of foreign owners in British football. Often the, the spotlight gets shone on their choice of manager and, and quite often they will appoint a manager from their own country or appoint a manager who thinks they can work within their their particular system and this is what's happened so far at Leighton Orient and I mean for all the the quality that you may have in your squad for all the confidence that you may have in the owner you know financially and getting things right in the long term I don't think you can ignore the fact that you've got a manager in charge who before being Leighton Orient manager had only managed seven games in his life at Genoa yeah. losing four of those <laughs> And, you know, when I look at those reports from the Standard last week and it was, you know, this source was quoted as saying uh, Liverani's so out of his depth, he can't give team talks, he doesn't know some of the players where when they're being signed, you know, without his knowledge and all this stuff. And then I see Nathan Clark's comment and, and he was referring to the players as my players. He said, if this has come from, with, you know, if, if anyone's leaked this, it won't be one of my players, which does sort of lead credence to the fact that maybe... There has been some sort of ownership taken back from the senior players because maybe the manager isn't up to it. I'm sounds, not sure. Sounds like the manager's speaking there, I'm, doesn't it? I'm reading between the lines there, but you've got to be concerned about the, the ability of Liverani simply, for no, if, if for nothing else, the fact that he's so inexperienced. Yeah, but, but you could argue that about anybody. You know, um, you could argue that about uh, Sean Derry at Notts County. You could have argued that about Neil Lennon before he took over at... at um, at Bolton, or, or, or I think it was at, was he at Celtic before that? Yeah, um, yeah, my, yeah. So you know, you could argue that sort of players, good players, don't always make good managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Arsene Wenger never had a, a, a distinguished, particularly distinguished playing. Career, no, but he wasn't given. He wasn't given the Arsenal job after seven games of management. My point is that Liverani, no matter how good a player he was, he's only he's not had enough experience at managing a team at any at any level. Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, I suppose, you know, I do agree with you, but I suppose you'd argue, where do you start? Um, not a late in Orient, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you've answered your question. try him and let him cut his teeth there. You know, it is what it is. We, we've got him. We, we don't have access to the to Mr. Bichetti to, to make him change his mind. So we have to support the team and, and him and, and, and hope that do it you, all works out well. Do you think that, do you think that the Orient fans are behind the team still and you know have they made their feelings clear in any visible protests or is the atmosphere still okay at the games? The atmosphere at home games is dire but then it's usually pretty dire so um, become a bit but, toxic recently. It has been bad recently but uh, away yeah. games I mean the, the 
the atmosphere on Saturday was fantastic when we, you know, when we kept, kept and there's a sort of gallo shimmer at away games, you know, because, you know, you're not going to stop supporting the team just because they're doing badly. And I think the fans are behind the players. They're annoyed with the players because they don't think the players are performing. But everyone understands their injuries and stuff like that. And we're unable to put the same team out week in, week out. Um, just one thing about Liverani, though. I mean, one thing in Liverani's favour is, he, you know, he, he was one of the, I think he's, he's half Somali. And he's, he faced a lot of adversity in Italy as a player. And he achieved pretty good things as a player. And so he's got, obviously, a kind of man with a lot of character. And I think anyone who's looked into his background would say, the guy has spirit, the guy has character. Um, I'm not ready to write him off yet. I mean, the not speaking English with the players is a problem, especially in League One. Not being able to convey what you want to convey or getting to know your squad is a problem. And to be fair, he took over a squad that wasn't doing very well anyway. So I think it's a bit early to write him off. Um, I think we were expecting somebody who had some understanding of, you know, League One football or lower league football to kind of take the job on. And it was a massive gamble bringing in a guy with a handful of games at Genoa. Um, but, you know, I suppose you've got to start somewhere. I mean, no one, wants it, no one wants it to be their club and no one wants to be the guinea pig for, for a new manager. Unless, of course, that, man, that new manager works out. Guys, so, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, thank you very much, both of you, for coming on. Um, just before you go, uh, are you going to stay up? Yes or no? What, what's your feeling at this point? Yeah. I'm going to be positive as Andy? I've been all season. I'll tell you after tomorrow's game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. That is uh, Andy Brown who writes an Orient for um, the Guardian series View from the West End and uh, wearegoingup.co.uk and Paul Levy who is the co-host of the Orient Outlook podcast which you can download right now. Right, well, I'm more in a second. something great together join men united and help beat prostate cancer search men united now okay should we do a sort of little summary then of uh what we've discussed in uh two separate chats about two different london teams and two different ownership issues you're obviously a man who supports a club you've had foreign owners for a while and yeah. you've had a completely different type of uh Ownership to, or I suppose, Orient. Um, you certainly, well, actually, you've had pre- you've had pretty similar number of managers this season. Um, yeah, but the key difference is, as we alluded to, when we spoke to the guys, is that we've been doing well on the pitch. Mm, yes. And if you have that, everything else does sort of go by the wayside. Even if you look at Cardiff, for example, you know when they were going up, getting promoted to the Premier League, <laughs> you know there was a lot of disquiet amongst their fans, but a lot of them also probably got on board because we've been promoted and. That is the key thing. Having success on the pitch is the key thing. It'll be the same with Brentford if they go up or if they go up next season or if they, you know, move forward on the pitch. Fans will get on board with owners as long as they can see progress on the pitch because that's what matters. Uh, but I found it very interesting to hear from both the Orient and and the Brentford supporters. In you know, you you would come into it and thinking that there would be maybe a bit of negativity, wouldn't you? And there would be a bit of disappointment. Um, pessimism from those fans, but both you know both sides there seem to be quite optimistic and and quite you know hopeful that that things are going to turn around for both those clubs, which is interesting. And I and I just think it it is the best way to be because it's so easy to look at Brentford today, seeing that break on Twitter. You just see everyone's awash <laughs> with a oh god owners. Why don't owners just let people get on with managing football clubs? Why don't you know, and, and Leighton Orient, uh, people want to look at the Leighton Orient and say, oh, foreign owners, why don't they just, you know, 
stick to what they know and get an English man in and stuff. And it's so easy to have a knee-jerk reaction. And it's you know people's opinions are valid, but I just think sometimes just wait, just pause, take a moment to consider, have a look at what's happened at other places. It doesn't always turn out how you think it's going to be. Sometimes people, you know, there's always more going on behind the scenes than what you know, and sometimes these people do have plans for the long term. And there's this, this prevailing short-termism everywhere in society it's also, nowadays. It's also the English football obsession with the manager yeah. as well. When you look at continental Europe, these systems that the Brentford are talking about are obviously in place and managers come and go. Whereas yeah. when you're a fan of an English football club, the, mani- well, yeah, the manager we, is the kind of centre point. To, but less and less that that is the case these mm. days. Well, know? hence the decision and, that Matthew Benham's made. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that the that both you know Brentford and Orient are going to be reap the benefits of of these decisions that have been made. I'm not saying that it will be a success at Orient. You know, Bachetti might not be the you know might not be able to improve on the the reign of Barry Hearn. You know, Matthew Benham. Maybe this is a gamble that isn't going to pay off for Matthew Benham. You know, he is a gambler. You don't win every time if you're a gambler, and I'm sure he knows that better than anyone else. But he's making the gamble, and he's he's got a track record. So that's why I think it might be wise to just reserve judgment at least for now and say maybe this guy does have a bit of an idea what he's doing, and let's let's wait and see before we castigate him and say you know this is another example of football going mad in the modern in the modern era. And I don't necessarily think it is, and. You know, it is very interesting to, to to sit back and look at what's going to happen in both both those clubs. I I would be more more worried if I was a Leighton Orient fan, certainly for the reason in Liverani as, as I went into. I think I don't have a lot of faith in him. I think it's a, a huge risky appointment. I think it's a, don't think it's a wise appointment. And I think there's 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 so much negativity coming out there. I think there's got to be some sort of truth to some of it. And there are problems there that I think might take a little time to resolve and iron out. Hopefully they'll they'll get through them in the long run. But Brentford, I, you know, as much as I admire Mark Warburton, I think he's good and I think he'll have a go on to have a, a really good career in football management. I do think Brentford can keep moving forward and can get over this. Can we call him a friend of the show, Mark Warburton? We had him on once. I think so. Yeah. Um, just gone into the audience thing. The, the thing I still can't get my head around is the, the reality TV show, which it's is amazing, just ridiculous. It? Now this song, don't know if you know this song, by the American Authors. Um, was it hit? Was it Not last year? With it. Last year. Um, go on. I'll, I'll put the link in the, the website thing. There's basically a video of all these young Italians at Brisbane Road miming along to it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Good. It just sums up an absolute shambolic state that Leighton Orient Football Club is in at the minute. Um, so it's that stage of the season where there's lots of midweek action. You've got a few bets on. Every time we've sort of been breaking, any of them. breaking up between guests on the show, you've been informing me of the scores. <laughs> any uh, any in, any notable ones? This yeah. is Tuesday evening this week well, as we record. The Championship, three games tonight. Uh, Cardiff won, Blackburn won. Yeah. A very late equaliser from uh, Rudy Gestead for Blackburn. Gives uh, Rob's Cardiff of what would have been a valuable win, although they do move up in the table with that point. Rotherham were 3-1 up at one stage at home to Derby, uh, but two goals from Tom Ince and a, and a late equaliser, 83rd minute, from Darren Bent. <laughs> it's just lo- got those three, lone signs again. A three-all draw for Derby, which uh, lifts them up into second place uh, above Middlesbrough, but Middlesbrough do have a game in hand. And then perhaps the result of the night, is it kicked off 15 minutes later than the other two games. So there is still, as I say this, there is still uh, a couple of minutes of normal time plus injury time to to uh, to go. But it's Reading nil, Wigan 1 at the Majeski. That would be huge. It should be a massive win for Wigan. If they hold on, they would be, I mean, it's still six points off Brighton who are, who are in 21st place, but it 
you know, just gives you that little bit of optimism if you're a Wigan fan, if you're a Wigan player, that maybe you can move forward from here. Good to see that celebration back at the weekend. The Yak. Yakubu. Only 32. Just everyone let that sink in Tremendous. for a second. Only 32. Um, anyway. Do you want to know about League One? Uh, yeah, go on. Why five not? Games While we're here. One five, five games. Yeah. Just Bristol five. City 2, Peterborough 0. Back to winning ways. Uh, Colchester 0, MK Dons 1. Back to winning ways. They get up to second place now, MK Dons. Mm. Swindon have got a game in hand, but they've they've hit the skids, haven't they? Recently, Swindon, uh, Doncaster two, Crew one. Doncaster Ooh. came from one goal down to win that one. Yeah, they're they're sixth now. Uh, Notts County one, Sheffield United two. <sighs> Great run, little yeah, I think it's Matty Dunn who uh, yeah, same from Rochdale. He, he's got the winner again. He's been a good signing for them, hasn't he? Uh, and Scunthorpe two, Chesterfield nil, mm. which is a poor result for Chesterfield. Chesterfield wobbling the playoffs, yeah, indeed. And then one match in League two. <laughs> yep. Mansfield one. Luton Town nil. Go on, oh, you stags. Come on. That is a big result for us, that. That is a huge result for us. Uh, any, any Vanarama Conference or Welsh Premier League while you're here? That's um, not a serious suggestion, by the way. North. <laughs> no, no. Let's leave it there. AFC um, Flyed 2, Boston United nil. They're not a real team. Um, if you want to tweet us this week, at Wagging oh, Podcast. Oh. Conference South, Bar yeah. City 7, Farnborough 4. That's a big result. Goals I won't go to any of the others. No, please don't. Um, <laughs> we are going up.co.uk is the website. That's where you can sign up for the Paddy Power offer. All the football pools, please sign up for that. You get a mum free. You win some cash, do better than he has. Uh, we are going up.co.uk and the link is down at the bottom. And also for the audiobook, audible.co.uk slash going up. And I know we're repeating ourselves, but please do go to iTunes if you can and rate and uh, leave a little review. Subscribe, do yeah, all those good please things. Please do all that. That's it. Uh, thanks for listening this week. Thanks to all our guests. Hope you've enjoyed. Cheers, DC. Uh, we will speak to you next time on We Are Going Up. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. 